Restaurant Unstoppable episode 626 with Will McNeil. We are very opposite people, and we each have a a very unique skill set that we bring to the table. And I think what a lot of business partnerships, how they can fail is that you have two people trying to do the same thing, and no one wants to do the other thing. Are you ready for it? Factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then, join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. Here is a statistic for you. 89% of all guests will research a restaurant online before dining out. So you've got to start thinking about how you can extend your in-house hospitality and attention to detail to the online world. Bento Box is a great place to start. They will develop a restaurant website that not only leaves lasting impressions with your guests, but also provides hospitality-focused tools that are proven to drive revenue online and guests into your restaurant. Sign up today at Get bento.com slash unstoppable and save up to $1,500 on initial setup for your new restaurant website gets on it. I'm sure you've heard of Revel, but have you heard of the Revel Advantage? It is the payment processing solution that seamlessly integrates into your Revel point of sale and platform to create a complete system tailored to your business needs. Revel manages both your POS and your payments with integrated software, hardware, and credit card processing to save you time and money so you can focus on your business. Learn more at revelsystems.com slash Unstoppable. With excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, Will McNeil. My man, Will, are you feeling unstoppable? Certainly today? am. <laughs> yes, that's what we like to hear. So born and raised in Burlington, Vermont, Will McNeil is a graduate of the Culinary Institute of America. After graduation, McNeil cooked at various locations before becoming a front of house manager for Hen of the Wood in 2006. By 2011, McNeil was offered partnership by Chef Eric Warnstead. Fast forward to current date in the team has scaled their operation to include Hen of the Wood, Burlington, Duck Ponds, Eat and Drink in Stowe, Vermont, and Prohibition Pig just down the road from their original Hen of the Wood in Waterbury, Vermont. I cannot wait to get your story and to dive into like who you are and how you got to where you are today. But let's get that motivational, inspirational ball rolling with a success quote or mantra. What do you got for us? It's just empowering each of our managers to make the right decisions and run our business for us. Empowering your managers to make the right decisions and run the business for you. Dive into what that looks like. No, we, we have a lot of love for our GMs, our front of the house assistant managers, um, all of our chefs and sous chefs who are actually at the restaurants running each restaurant on a day-to-day basis. We've gotten to the point where, unfortunately, my business partner, Eric Warnstead, and I just can't be at the, each restaurant every single night of the week. And so we have built a phenomenal team around us that really are the heartbeat of our restaurant. Man, I love it. And it's, it's funny that you mentioned that because I just had this thought not too long ago. You hear a lot of people say uh, it's not about serving food. We don't we don't produce uh, food. We re- produce an experience. Right. That's what we're really what we're selling. Oh, absolutely. But I'll take it even a, a step further. And the most successful restaurant tours are doing food and experiences. But they really know that the true secret is producing professionals uh turning up professionals creating professionals and and it sounds like you guys understand that that's that's where the the sweet spot is it's totally that way it's not unfortunately looking at the customer first as much as you might think it's looking at your staff first and the customer right behind it because if that staff isn't there and not caring then you don't have anything to build upon awesome i love it i cannot wait to dive into how you have recreated yourselves in your staff but uh let's start where it all makes sense when did you know that this was going to be your career, hospitality? Uh, Well, mom at age 14 told me to get a job. (laughs) And um, I went out and got a job at a a restaurant that doesn't exist anymore, but it's called the Sirline Saloon. It was on Shelburne Road, and I started washing dishes at 14 um, and worked all the way through high school 
in kitchens is working my way up. And yeah, that's I just fell in love with the industry from the get go. I was very fortunate that that was my real first profession was in restaurants and I've never left. So look, look back at this time, your first experience within the industry, what was going on? What were, what do you remember it being like? What was the first impression? Uh, at first, one of my first really memories was how freaking hot the dishes were coming out of the dish machine <laughs> and uh, I had to touch them and put them away in, in their spots. And I just remember my hands just on fire from like burning because the dishes were so hot and this uh, high speed environment. But I just remember being like, I, I, I couldn't wait to get out of the dish pit. So I, I can't say that, but I, I worked my way up the salad bar prep. Uh, for this big salad bar that they had there, and just like can't wait to get a knife in my hand. It's, uh, it's amazing how your your pain tolerance goes up over the years. Though, isn't it, it? it really, <laughs> it really is. So you you transition. You're, you're working from the 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 dish pit. You transition to uh, working in the on the line. Take us yeah, through that transition. So uh, I transitioned first into what I said, salad bar prep, which is kind of like garmage in a way. So all all cold stuff. Um, no real cooking or anything on that. Um, and it was just about keeping the salad bar full, but she got you into the, uh, onto the restaurant floor and you had to look clean and presentable and all of that, which was in, you know, working in the dish pit. It's a little bit different environment back there. And then I transitioned onto the line and cooking cause I really wanted to head in that route and yeah, started cooking there. Not How long did this transition take from being uh, on dish to working the line? Um, it was about probably a two year transition. Okay. And, uh, I mean, obviously, somebody made an impression on you. The industry made an impression on you because you ended up going to school to study at CIA, Culinary Institute of America. Yeah. Is there any individual that made an impression on Unfortunately, you? Unfortunately, not during that time. I just really loved um, the work of it all. Okay. Um, I what took about a the job you- uh, right after um, where I was solo cooking. Um, and it was before culinary school. It was my senior year of high school. Um, and it was a restaurant called the Cork and Board, and I was running their PM kitchen line, but I was the only employee. Okay. Um, so it, I, I wasn't necessarily inspired by anyone, but I had a lot of motivational drive to like, learn more and do more, and it got me involved in every aspect of everything. So what was it exactly that really sucked you in? Uh, the love of the food. I remember actually talking to my stepdad about this, and I was considering the whole music route in life. And he was a professional jazz drummer. And him sitting me down and being like, everyone's got to eat. You should really think of that as your direction that you want to go. You can travel the world and do that anywhere you want to go. Yep. The opportunities are endless. You should really, really think about that. Um, and then r- right around that same time, I had a teacher in high school who was super supportive of me and gave me Kitchen Confidential as a book. And that book really helped guide my life into wanting to go to the CIA. What was it about that book? Give me an example. Uh, Just the passion behind it. Uh, True, honest passion and being at work and loving one's profession. And I just hadn't come across that. I mean, yeah, it was young in life, but I really hadn't come across anyone having like such a passion about their industry and what they do. I see a lot of people going through the motions, but just no passion or love behind it. And that's what really struck me in that book. I love it. So when did you make the decision to go to the CIA? When did you commit to that decision? Uh, My senior year of high school. I went right out of high school. Nice. Uh, which, you know, I don't know if my mom was the biggest fan of, of not doing regular college. Uh, but, um, yeah, no, I, I, I knew that was my drive, and she didn't give me too much of a hard time about it and fully supported so me. Did, did you do the two-year program there? Or the- yeah, I did in Hyde Park, New York. I did the two-year associates program um, there, and it was on internship from that program is when I met Eric working, uh, my business, now business partner, Eric Warnstead, he was the sous chef of a restaurant called Smoke Jacks, which was on the corner of Church and Main in downtown Burlington. Uh, I was a culinary intern. Um, and yeah, he was my, he was the guy running the show every night. Um, the chef w- ran the morning shift and he ran the night. And we were this small little crew of team that ran this PM shift. And I was so, so fortunate to be, get to know him and, uh, I want to talk about that internship, but first I want to find out if there were any key mentors at the CIA, any key instructors that really imprinted on you and to kind of find out who they are and how they imprinted on you, why they imprinted on you. Uh, now I had uh, Brian Smith as a wine teacher um, okay. and 
that everyone says that the wine class is the hardest class. And that was my, you know, also going through wine class when you're 18, 19 years old, you don't know crap about it. And (laughs) he really put a huge impression on how much I really enjoyed one. And there was so much more out there than my little mind could handle at that point. And really inspired that, obviously. How did he inspire you? How did he get you to enjoy it? What, what was his approach? His approach was an intense one. It was the hardest class at CIA that I ever took. What made it so hard? Just not being familiar? Well, A, you covered this, um, I don't even know how many pages, like 600-page textbook. And You'll three, never three know weeks. everything about wine yeah. if you study it your entire life. Yeah, yeah totally. And we had a 600-page textbook that we covered in the whole class. Every day was a test. Every day was a tasting. And you just had to be on ball all the time. And the amount of study work that went into that class, I've never studied like that uh, intense until that point in my life. Uh, And it really just inspired me to want to learn more. Um, And yeah, so it was a pretty, pretty cool class. So how did he make that intense experience enjoyable? He made it enjoyable. Well, you know, wine will always make anything (laughs) enjoyable, especially when you're underage. Um, But yeah, so I would say that there's probably a component to that. Um, but he made it enjoyable because he showed the passion mm. behind it and the real want and drive of that, uh, of finding that next thing or finding, um, just inspiring that passion. I would it's say. contagious. It's totally contagious. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And so, when you, you know, you go through chefs that are just like totally in it for the paycheck. And then you, when you hit a chef or an instructor that's really about the subject they're teaching, it just inspires the whole class. Like, it, you don't have to do much if the, they're solely behind it versus the guy who's there teaching stocks about stocks and doesn't really care to be there. Mm. Um, yeah, so you, you get that both level instructors there, but I really enjoyed that. Any of the, like, these most intense teachers at, um, at CIA definitely left an impression. Any other uh, CIA professors? Uh, I totally forget the gentleman's name, but my front of the house instructor at Lescaffier, uh, Lescaffier um, was definitely a career changing for me because it made me realize that I love the front of the house. What was it about that experience that made you realize you love the front of the house? I, dealing with guests and doing things like table side service, which you never see anymore, but like, you know, doing a, the old school filet of sole table side, banana foster table side. Uh, working with cheeses, which is amazing. They were only doing French cheeses at the time, but amazing to see the Vermont cheese culture come out. And that's been a big part of our program is our cheese list. And seeing that all come about, that was a huge part where you actually got the gear on, brought over to the table, and you got presented with 15 different cheeses that you could choose from that were then cut for you and served to you right there. Uh, and I really just love that guest interaction uh, and, like, having a little more fulfillment on that side of things. What are the biggest lessons this professor taught you about, about the front of the house, as far as standards of service and ways to go above and beyond what's expected from the restaurant, things like that. Absolutely. The, just the concept of a sequence of service, which we implement at all our restaurants, um, it just was so new to me. And I hadn't ever heard a restaurant ever talk about that, that there is a sequence. There is a set course of action. Break it down. Uh, well, we have 25 steps of service. Uh, I won't go through all of them, but basically for that, you're greeted within two minutes or two bite, uh, or you're greeted within two minutes of sitting down. You're acknowledged. You're not slouching. You stand up straight and tall when you greet someone. Uh, you never do the kneel down on the ground next to the table, things like that. Uh, but you stand up straight and you greet them within two minutes. That's step one. Uh, and probably everyone that is out there has been to that restaurant that's not greeted within two minutes. And you're just left there wondering. You have nothing in front of you. You can't do anything. You're just kind of stuck in this place. Um, And more so, I think that is the most important step of service, more so than anything else. Um, And I would say the only other one was getting them checked in a timely fashion. If if that first step isn't there uh, in the service, then they're greeted in a good time. Then it puts a sour taste in your mouth immediately. Well, it's interesting because you went from the first experience to last experience. Yeah. And those two things are super important. Like, you can win or lose a guess on the first experience. You can live at any point of the experience, but 
the beginning and the end are the two big ones. And the two uh, big ones, absolutely. Yeah, first impression, last impression. You can win somebody over. You can have a horrible experience but have an incredible last impression and still win the guest over. So it's oh, totally. really powerful. Uh, any other like little tricks of the trade, like you mentioned, greeting somebody within uh, two minutes or anything like that? Yeah. That was uh, key for the experience. Um, the importance of a host. Um, the host, I feel, is one of the most important positions in a restaurant. And it's the first and last person again that a guest sees, and that sets the tone. And it's the and when they arrive, sets the tone for the evening, and will be the last thing that a guest remembers when they leave. Yeah. You know, and if you if they leave with a sour taste, you get, you can turn around a bad experience with a positive leaving by the host. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that host position is probably the most underutilized position in a restaurant. It is, industry. and it's a hard position to fill because everyone wants to be a server and make the extra money serving. Um, but that host is a, such a crucial position. Yeah. To us. Uh, I, I recently had a horse Schultze of uh, the Ritz Carlton on the show and we go over their 24 standards of service. If you guys are interested, uh, this is the, these are the standards of service that the, the Ritz Carlton uses in all their restaurants. If you guys want to learn more about those standards, uh, any other standards that are worth mentioning before moving on? No, I would say those two are our, our biggest ones. And we've already talked about the, just the standard of taking our employee first versus yeah, the yeah. customer and nothing against the customers the customers obviously what keep us going on but not having that core of employee is super important to us so head over to restaurantunstoppable.com slash 613 if you guys want to check out that the episode of the standards of service uh just for a little call to action there now back to your story um so this it's safe to say that this is probably when you made that transition from back of house to front of house. Now you're, you're focused on wanting to be in the front of house. Yeah, that was definitely where my focus was, but it wasn't when I transitioned personally. Okay. Uh, it wasn't until Hen of the Wood did I transition. I had never worked a day in my life in the front of the house until the day I started as front of the house general manager of Hen of the Wood Waterbury. So take us to that internship, uh, Hen of the Wood. Uh, this is your first time. Um, yeah, it wasn't an internship. Eric hired me on. My internship was at a restaurant called Smokejacks. Oh, that's right. Back but in the day. That's right. Eric. But Eric was working there. Eric that's was, was working there. Thank yeah. you for correcting me. Yeah. Uh, so what was your first impression of Eric? Uh, first impression of Eric was he was – freaking hard ass <laughs> but also super great uh, one of the best people i've ever worked for because he pushed you in the right direction um whether i'm really just talking about that internship time uh you know cia arms you with all this information you come out into the world thinking you know everything and then your internship is meant to say you know nothing uh and eric was very gracious about it because again i i came out thinking i knew everything and really i knew nothing and until you're there executing it on a daily basis uh and putting practicality to everything you have learned um that's the moment. So he helped you realize that you that you thought you knew everything, but he helped you realize that there's a lot more you have to learn. How did he do that graciously without breaking you down too much? Uh, he, he's not a yeller, so that's always great. And uh, we've, we've never worked good with any yellers or yeah. screamers or, you know, I know chefs that have thrown pans and things like that. That was never the the issue. It was, he, was always, he always took that extra moment to let you know if something was wrong or right but also keep it fixed or and was never mean about it so in, in what way was he a hard ass what how did that hard ass element come in if you oh if your play out? didn't come out the the way it was supposed to by any and i mean this could be the way the salad was formed or even that you had a dribble of soup on the rim of your bowl or things like that he would make sure you you knew it so he was on t- like you had to make sure that that dish came out right or it it, it was caught like that so he was a hard ass with his standards with his standards yeah yeah and not letting anything go so there's a way to be a hard ass and to gain respect without being a dick yeah. i guess this is like the the part of my language my crudity totally uh, and, and, but and that was i mean i only had a real short three months experience with with that that time and that's when i was cooking with him and then the real change was when i moved to the front of the house any other working. impressions that you left on you during this time any moment that really stands out a story you can share um one quick one was on a super slow night you know, there, uh, you know, the old saying, if, uh, if you got time to lean, you got time to clean. Yeah. Uh, we decided to repaint the kitchen in the middle of service. 
uh, to this very purple, purple color, uh, which was the only paint that we could find in the in the restaurant. Uh, uh, and we repainted, moved everything, and redid it, and used a whole slow night to repaint the kitchen during service because we were it was a dead yeah. dead night and i you know i can't even tell you how many covers we did it was probably like 10 or so uh and yeah just found time to like keep moving and it was funny because it that was his he always had something to do there and he was sue and i was an intern uh and you know nowadays it's like what right did we have to be like okay we're gonna repaint the kitchen now because we're <laughs> slow um but yeah that that was like really funny that's awesome so you end up uh you finish your internship you go back to cia anything worth hovering over during that time back or do you want to dive back into now being a yeah when i'm industry I, professional yeah when i moved back to vermont in 2005 um i got a job at christoph's on the green when I, that's what brought me back here which was a he was a phenomenal chef um really brought me back into the the classic french cooking um style the restaurant was called christophe's um i really enjoyed my time there with him and his preciseness on everything being as traditional as it should be allowed me to grow so much during that time which i really enjoyed like if you don't know how to make a stock and don't do it every single day of your life um, like there's perfections to it. And that stock is the basis to everything else you're yeah, going to do. I think there's definitely something to be said, uh, graduating and going into a kitchen that's very traditional because of the, the, the power of getting the, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? The technique down and the repetition totally. and that technique is, it will stay with you for the rest of your life, but you got to really, you got to go. The repetition is so important. You need that time to build that repetition. Any other key, takeaways from this time uh for me that was it and then well i've been wanting to get out of the front of the house or get into the front of the house and trying to find my way in and um this was like six months after henley wood had opened and they were looking for i heard through the grapevine a front of the house manager uh, i might have even seen like an ad on craigslist too but i obviously knew eric and um decide to go what the hell well, i'll go and apply but in a way i had no business applying all, all my experience i was coming i was a formerly that was a sous chef at my last job you know i had no right to be a front of the house or gm um and run a whole staff when i've never served a, a table in my life so and yeah i can remember that interview very very precisely and so can eric yeah so bring us to first how did you reach out to him like take us to that that, that first yeah i think i just called up and set up an, an interview with him and um they like to make fun of me because i showed up in a what i thought at the time a very nice suit though it did have a we'll call it a salmon color shirt to it that they i'm still made fun <laughs> of uh to this day uh, it's one of my favorite colors, by yeah. the way. So I, I would have backed you up. Um, but I showed up in a suit, and they couldn't believe that. You know, they only know me as a, a line cook, not a guy showing up in a suit. I got you. And I uh, had a great interview, and um, or I think it was great. They hired me. <laughs> um, or maybe well, I was the only option. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I got the job. Um, was the title front of house manager? Yeah, front okay. of the house manager or something. The title changed throughout the years, whatever it was. Um, but yeah, I was running the, the I was running the full. I was the host and running the full front of the house program. What was that transition like going from back of house to front of house, managing the front of house, not even scaling into front of house operations? Oh, like, scary as shit! I bet. Take us through it. <laughs> uh, I remember getting the first set of twenty four steps of service and studying it with a fine tooth comb. And if anything, I, I think in the beginning, I was probably way too hard on people, uh, or I know I was just because I was following everything with a very strictness of like this, you didn't do the steps of service. And at first I didn't fully understand that, you know, there's so many audibles that you can throw in those steps. You don't have to stick, you can customize, set, it, you yeah. can customize it to customize this guest experience. Um, that I was so strict on the steps of service. So if something was not right, I definitely heard back from the staff that I would call them out in the middle of service about, about something. And they instantly were like, no, that's, you know, you can't, A, it's, you're throwing me off my game right now. And yeah. So there's a couple of things to take from that. Um, you know, you can customize the, the standards and make it your own. And the other big thing that I want to 
to pull from that is if something isn't going right, if somebody's not doing it right, during the middle of dinner service probably isn't the best time to correct. Yeah, do you want the, to dive into that? Yeah, the, it, it's still a debate these days because there is a, it, it's a yes and no to that. It's you have to actually customize it to the staff member. Um, some people handle it really well in the middle, and in sometimes you also have to tell them in the middle in service in order to make the corrections. Yeah, it depends on what the thing is, right? Totally. If, it's, if it's something that happened and it's in the past, then maybe that can wait until yeah. after dinner service. Yeah. If it's something that's affecting the experience in the moment and it's continuing to affect the experience, then maybe bring it up. Uh, but doing it in a corrective way, not necessarily like a discipline of a, a discipline. To, I don't what word. Yeah. Disciplinary yeah, thank action you. <laughs> around it. Yeah, totally. If you can make a, a light yeah. little joke out of it, or um, I've always found that to be super helpful. Uh, um, and and be light and smiling about it and uh no you did this wrong but at least when you're telling someone that they're doing something wrong have a smile on your face and it really changes the whole mood of it all mm-hmm. um so you, you keep on mentioning these standards of service is there like a re- uh, a document or a book that is that where these standards of services are uh, documented that you can share with us if the listeners want to go check it out yeah yeah i can definitely give you ours we have all, we, every new employee gets it so oh so your personal standards of service you yeah. want to share with us yeah you guys heard it uh this is going to be episode 626 so I'll, we'll, I'll try to include that in the show notes uh thank you that's awesome was not expecting that i thought maybe there was a book that you were referencing prior to that no there was uh no book that i've uh, i uh, a couple of danny myers books have always talked about it but i don't know of a, a full set of list besides the one and ours has been tuned and tuned and tuned over the years you know we're always slightly tweaking yeah. it here and there that's so another I, lesson right there too is constant improvement it's not constant improvement yeah. we are changing everything all the time and we'll throw everything on its head at the restaurant from simple things i remember the day we ripped off our tablecloths that was a big deal <laughs> why, why did you make that decision a we had beautiful wood tables b the linen cost was expensive and why not just uh, we were taking more and more minimalistic approach to our service. And it's funny, if you look at our original table sets, um, meaning you would walk into the empty dining room and you were the first guest and what every table looked like when we opened in 2005 to where we are now, everything has just been, we don't need this, get this off the table. We don't need this, get this off the table. We don't need this. Like we used to, from full silverware sets to um tablecloths to wine glasses to water glasses on the table all this stuff and it's just like how much can we actually now we have this total minimalist approach where there's just a candle one napkin and we at the hen of the woods have a slate on the table that we use as kind of like a silverware holder so was this movement this transition to minimalism was your hand forced because I, I mean we, we just got off the the literally just finished recording with eric and he was talking about those early years where they got just enough to purchase uh hen of the wood mm-hmm. barely enough and, th- and they wish they had that operation the the the, the uh, operational capital to to run and were you guys was it kind of like survival mode like we is that what was determining a lot of this minimalism and that, which is a no. totally acceptable thing if it is i in in a backing way maybe the tablecloths were in yeah. there but everything else wasn't uh it wasn't from that it was truly a minimalistic approach uh, from our end um and we would just bring you what you need like the wine glasses are a great example uh which was probably removed two three years ago uh probably three years ago now from our tables uh and when we decided to do it it's just like well we're removing half our wine glasses anyway the instant you order because you get a cocktail you get a beer you get a a bottle that needs a different wine glass than the one that's on the table so we're removing half the three-fourths our wine glass so it was creating an extra step for our servers um that we just didn't need less is more less is more totally um but yeah there's definitely you know the linen cost is a big cost and that was you know, in the beginning, every every cost mattered so much. Every yeah, penny mattered. Absolutely. So take us through that transition, uh, 2006 to 2011, how you evolved as a professional at Hen of the Wood. Yeah, so there's probably two levels on that. Um, the first is the, the working every night. I was very fortunate in working every single night with, with Eric. Um, he was cooking and I was running the front of the house. Um, we even got to a point where we only had one from the house staff member besides myself. Wow. And um, we were open six days a week. I was working all six. 
and our only server who's still with us to this day um wouldn't work the sixth day and so i remember very specifically being the only person running the entire front of the house program oh, uh, out of the wood from managing to serving and anything in between um so and we grew it from there but from uh eric's part he would definitely push me to always be better and always how can we keep changing how can we look at this and i think that a i was so young at the time um when i took over i was only 23 wow and um I was ready to learn anything and also coming in with a skill set of, I don't have a skill set in the front of the house. I know how the, I understand the food side of thing, but I don't, I'm not coming with any baggage of like, well, we did service this way, this way, or this, I had nothing. So this was a first experience. So we at the end of almost every service, just talking about how we can better improve on things. And so we used I to make changes I, like you that. You say at the end of service? And or during, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think one thing that, um, I mean, it's very common practice to have the pre-service uh, meeting, right? The the uh, And we do have pre-service every day. People yeah. call it different things. But I think what's super underrated is the post-service meeting. The, the you know, you have your shift drink and you're talking, you're breaking it down, like in the moment. Like, what, well, how did today go? How could we have made it, made it better? Not enough people do that. They don't break it down afterwards. No, totally. And um, we that was more of a focus. Just also, there was only a couple of us at yeah. the restaurant. Maybe there was four or five of us at the end of the night having a beer together, yeah. talking about the shift. And you just naturally talk about the shift. I don't know if it was necessarily planned as a post-shift meeting, but it was more definitely like, I'm exhausted. Let's have a beer and, yeah. and talk about it. Or um, the other half was, let's come to this building that we're sitting in right now, which used to be the Alchemist Brewery and have a beer at their bar and uh, talk about the shift here. Uh, so very early days of Hen, we're all downstairs in this bar. Oh, that's uh, so cool. The day we decided to go to an international wine list, I remember exactly where we were standing right here at the end of the, the bar that's downstairs. Now. That's pretty rad. Uh, so any other key uh, evolutionary moments for you uh, as a professional between 2006 and 2011 when uh, Eric sat you down and pitched a partnership to you? Yeah. Uh, one big thing was uh, now it seems that it consumed most of my day was the uh, operational side of things, The also the technology and um, accounting side of things. I really ended up, we had, when Hen was first started, they had an accountant who kind of just fell off and I ended up just naturally taking over everything. Um, that's not my background in any kind of mean, but I was really interested in learning about it and wanting to get to know all the systems and all the operations of a restaurant. Um, and I just started taking it over and I did that, um, the entire time I, you know, learned my way through everything. So I just did that during that whole period. And actually, and I was gone for one year, 2010 to 2011, and I continued helping Eric out with the books during so, that time. Are there any nuggets you can share with us? Any lessons that you drew from that experience that you, that maybe other you know restaurants are not doing, like tricks of the trade, things of that nature? Yeah, during that is you know paying attention to every invoice. It, it matters, especially when every penny matters, um, and knowing where all your costs and where how it's going out. Uh, but the big thing is Excel. If you like, I really, really taught myself Excel did during you, that time. Did you build a spreadsheet from scratch, or did yeah, you every, find one online? I, no, no, I I enjoy building them. Um, so every spreadsheet that we use at all of our restaurants now, I've built the majority of them uh, from scratch and build my own programs because that's how I understand. It. If I build it, then I know how it fully works, and then I can. Are there any it. resources you're going to uh, to learn more about Excel? To the YouTube is great. YouTube is awesome. <laughs> it is. There's literally there's so much. There's so many tutorials, screen capture tutorials out there that that break it down uh, from budgets to totally. uh, time management or uh, and um, you scheduling can, and you can also like hey i got five minutes to set aside right now let me try to find something and customize it to what you the time you have to try to pick up the skills that what you about, need. yeah what about operations what, how did you learn about how did you evolve as an operations manager um that you know i think the term operation manager can be taken in so many different ways yeah. like what exactly does that mean um, 
But for me, it just really meant the accounting was a big a part of the operations. If you can't understand accounting, you can't understand operations. Yeah, and that's one thing you want to – I mean, it makes sense that that's where you started to, like, to really get a, a hold over the, the numbers, the accounting. That, that can break you. I mean, in, a, yeah, in, a, in an industry where the numbers are – the margins are so small, such a small percentage, if, if you can get control over that first, I mean, that's huge. Yeah, and uh, – you can't put it aside and you can't destroy it in a peach basket in the office and totally forget about it. You have to have your number and be on top of them, whether it's putting them into your Excel sheets or QuickBooks or whatever program you're using. Um, you got to really just stay on top and you got to, it could be that you'd be wanting to get back to the kitchen to get cooking, but the, the importance of that is what will make your business go and allow you to make the appropriate decisions moving forward uh, on all that stuff. All right. I think we're at a good spot to take a quick break to thank our sponsors. We'll be right back. So this probably does not come as a surprise to you, but as you can imagine, I look at a lot of restaurant websites because I'm constantly researching my next guest, successful restaurateurs, and you'd be surprised how many of those people have bento box websites. I mean, I almost know instantly when looking at these websites because they're always so stunning and they always check every box, everything that a good restaurant website should have. These websites have them, and it's because they're going to Bento Box to get the work done. And not only will Bento Box leave a lasting impression with your guests, but Bento Box websites come with hospitality-focused tools that are proven to drive revenue online. With Bento Box, you can easily update menus, promote events, share press, sell gift cards, take catering orders, and book private events directly from your website. Bento Box puts you in control so you can focus on what matters most, your restaurant. Bring your restaurants hospitality online with bento box by signing up today at getbento.com slash unstoppable and save up to $1,500 on initial setup for your new restaurant website. So we're back and this is a good time to, to bring up the, the part of your story where uh, you were offered a partnership at Hen of the Wood. Take us to that moment where Eric dropped that opportunity on your lap. Yeah, I mean, we were in the most epic of places when it happened. We were sitting in the James Beard Awards at the James Beard uh, annual ceremony, and he dropped that little nugget. Eric was up for, made the finalist list for Best Chef Northeast. Uh, he invited me uh, to be his guest and join him at the award ceremony. Uh, I had left for, uh, it ended up being a year period, but at this point it was like six, eight months into my, uh, having left hen and I had become a, a wine distributor, wine and beer distributor. And, uh, I remember going to my boss and being like, Eric wants me to come to the James Beard awards with him. Do you mind if I take the time off to go, go to New York city and go to the award ceremony with him? He's like, it'd be stupid if I didn't let you go. <laughs> yeah. But he's regretting that yeah, decision. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, um, so take us to that moment. When yeah. We were sitting there and it's just a very, awe of the moment. And you, you're around all the, these amazing professionals that you've looked up to for so many years of all these restaurants that you've put on this pedestal yeah. and they're just sitting around you. Uh, and we're getting to meet all these great chefs and front of the house managers and wine directors and everyone that I, you know, wine importers, um, brewers, um, that all were there at the ceremony. And it's a total meeting of the minds of, in yeah. that sense. And, you know, that is totally like, was my like cloud nine to be on, to <laughs> be bet. there in the moment of, of the James Beard awards and, watching the presentation and remembering when Northeast comes up, of course we didn't get it. Um, and, um, but just being there and all that. And then Eric just see, I remember him just, he's like, what would it take for you to come back and be my partner at Hen? And I can just being like, I wanted to give an answer right then of yes, uh, of course. What absolutely. was going through your mind when he when he said it? Were you expecting it? Did it totally take you off guard? It totally took me off guard. Um, I did. I did have a lot of thought like I, already that I didn't know if the wine profession and being a wine salesman was the calling in my life, and I missed the restaurants because I loved the restaurants. Um, I definitely had to have a conversation with the wife about yeah. going, going back to being a full time. Um, working at nights full time. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, 
in my mind, I made up my mind before asking her, unfortunately, to her. Um, but you did yeah. the right thing, though. You did the right thing. You went to her, you asked her. And I did ask her. Um, what were you feeling in that moment when he, he dropped this question on you? What, what I mean, it? I was already on cloud nine just being there. Yeah, and, um, yeah, I, I was, I've never been on a level of excitement. It almost sounds like romantic, like a proposal. Oh, it's like, totally like a proposal of like the right time, <laughs> the right place. I didn't know, uh, I didn't know Eric was such a romantic. Yeah, uh, no, he, he apparently <laughs> is. And it, it, I don't know if it was uh, pre-planned to do it at the, at the beard ceremonies, but that's when it all right. happened. But when we, we joke though, and it's a proposal, but you, in order to, you I mean you have to have that level of respect? It's it's a marriage. When you're going into a yeah. partnership with somebody, you're marrying that person. Oh, it's more than partner. a marriage. Yeah. I I joke with Eric all the time. I see him and talk to him more than anyone in my life, including my wife and daughter. Um, like we just are always around each other. So, what was it about you that you think allowed you to earn this opportunity to 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 be to, to take over fifty percent of the business partner? Uh, just. I mean, th- that doesn't happen every day. It's not no. just any restaurant. This is a restaurant that's at this point, I mean, w- with your help, I think Eric has probably got like, I think, I, I want to say, uh, not just Eric, but the team got maybe five more James Beard nods in that process afterwards. I think total yeah. from like, what, 2008 to 2016, the consecutive years that they got. So that's eight years minimum right there. Yeah, yeah, eight years of making the finals. Yeah. Uh, or there was semifinals too. Uh, we had two or three years in the finalists. I think the, the, yeah, the original question was, um, what was it about you that I, I think, um, why it enticed Eric so much, um, to offer a partnership like that is that we are very opposite people mm. and we each have a, a very unique skill set that we bring to the table. And I think what a lot of business partnerships, how they can fail is that you have two people trying to do the same thing and no one wants to do the other thing. Uh, I've talked to a couple of friends of mine who have failed restaurants, unfortunately, and their big thing is struggling with their partnership is, well, we both want to be the chef or we both want to be the front of the house manager. Um, uh, and, but no one wants to take a look at the books or take the time to do that, or no one wants to do that. Whereas we pretty much cover all the grounds between two of us. And it's never like, well, I want to do that. Or I, and we both want to do the same thing. Uh, it, we don't really ever have that issue at all, which has been phenomenal. Mm. Uh, and I think that's what's really made our partnership so successful. Absolutely. Uh, you, you have to get in lanes. And, and I think Eric mentioned it briefly, assigning roles to the lanes and, and the duties. And I think that's where a lot of people go wrong, too. They, they assume that the other person's handling those things, but they don't ever take the time to say, and commit to writing like these are your responsibilities and it's so important to commit it to writing because that's how you hold people accountable to when things start to drift like, listen we wrote it down you agreed to this it's on right you know it's on paper do yeah. you want to reflect to that yeah absolutely we did that um and put it officially on paper about two years ago maybe a little bit more um but we did a big exercise uh just trying to put down what each other's roles were and i we semi wrote our own semi wrote the other person's. So we both had say in what Mm. each task was and defining that. And we're talking about a single page document and it it, it takes broad strokes at things. Uh, But it really defines our role of what each role is defining uh, or uh, what, each person is responsible for which overall was pretty easy we were very fortunate to do it because it was all like well i'm doing this right now and i've have been doing this um like eric handles more of like the marketing and social media aspect but he's always been doing that um so it wasn't like a weird like i i didn't care about that do you know what i mean and my big thing of like accounting and quickbooks and how we handle all our invoicing and everything like that he didn't want anything to do with which was fine you know (laughs) yeah so um take us through the evolution of you guys are going by heirloom hospitality is your your mother company now right yeah heirloom so take us through that evolution um now you're an owner now you're you're calling shots you're making decisions how did what was the thought process behind it all scaling this business uh i don't know if eric already went over but did you maybe talk a little about, bit but i want your evolution? perspective <laughs> did you talk about the evolution of the name heirloom uh no all? i don't believe so uh so heirloom was a unique one for us um and we really um really love the meanings of heirloom and if you look at heirloom it has two definitions uh first 
is the thing that your grandmother hands down to you. This pearl necklace becomes yours, and now you're taking care of it. It's yours. And that's the way we really kind of feel about our restaurants. So, you know, at first we started in Waterbury, and we've handed it off to our, our management team. So we have this, this thing that we really, really deeply and passionately cared about, and we've handed it off at this point. So it's an heirloom in that sense. But heirloom also has a definition of, like, a heirloom seed varietal. Um, which is something that has been cultivated over the years and then cared upon uh, that cultivation of this single unique thing that you have, this heirloom bridal. And we feel passing it down to generations and passing in this cultivated thing down to each generation. I love that idea of passing down. And I think that one of the biggest lessons I've learned during this this show, I kind of alluded to it earlier where I don't can't remember if it was this conversation with you or if it was with Eric, but it's the idea of we don't create, experiences in food we create other professionals right when yeah. we do create experiences in food but the best in this industry realize that they're they're forming the next generation they're, they're passing it down right like i've i've uh collected all this experience and knowledge over my time as a professional now it's my job to to pass that down the heirloom like 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 the pearl necklace right yeah here's this, these, these, this knowledge this experience these are the values i have and it's my job to pass that down to you i think it's an incredibly branded uh, heirloom hospitality like I love yeah. that it's perfect and for them to then build upon that exactly that, that time as well yeah. yeah so that yeah that was yeah that's heirloom for so, us so take us through the evolution of of growing this business some of the key lessons you you've taken from the past uh it was 2006 so it's been over 14 years now for you right yeah, yeah. it's it's uh it's been crazy uh it took us so you know restaurant two is always the hardest yeah how Uh, hard about it well it's debt (laughs) debt is always a lot of hard we we grabbed onto a big project um an opening head of the wood burlington um what was we were building a building from the ground up with the help of hotel vermont there was no building there before which was also amazing because we got to design our dream restaurant um so debt was definitely hard it was hard to really hard to we had a staff of 14 at the time at and waterbury and we needed to hire a staff of over 50 um so that growing of from hr to payroll to anything in between um to becoming to realize that you can't be present all the time at all your restaurants and that was first learned the hard way at Hen Burlington, um, that we couldn't be at Hen Waterbury every night of the week anymore. And we couldn't be at Hen Burlington every night of the week. And, uh, that balance and always being around. How did you overcome that challenge? Um, through great managers. It was really what it came down to. We were very fortunate, um, through all our years to have some phenomenal people working with us. So when you left, not left, but when you, um, removed your, your day to day presence in Waterbury to focus on Burlington, the managers that replaced you, how long were they on your team before that transition? Um, the, we brought a manager on, uh, it's one of the, we haven't done this many times, but we brought, it was a, a manager we actually knew from when Eric and I were on internship together. She was the assistant manager back then. We brought her on to kind of first, uh, run hen waterbury and then we decided to have her run hen burlington and um yeah so we brought someone up and then brought up another staff member i just i think what what i was i was curious about that the reason why i ask is i I think it's important to point out that uh you opened or the you know eric opened hen of the wood in 2005 yeah it was eight years after that you went from one location to two locations yeah and I think that that second location, based off my conversation with Eric earlier, was like the vision of what he originally wanted the, the Hen of the Wood to be, but that now he had the means, right? Uh, it, it, it takes time to build that reputation and to, to have that, you know, that reputation in a community, and, but, but by taking your time to, to develop your people, to develop your reputation, it makes that second restaurant, I think, that much easier. I think people try to go from one to two way too fast sometimes yeah they don't they don't establish one well enough before moving to two yeah totally and um we had been looking for that second restaurant for a while but we're picky and choosy about what it where it was going to be and the space it was going to go in um but nothing had ever seemed to click and i don't know you know 
if in 2008 we could have even done it. Mm-hmm. Um, so it did take a long time to finally get there and realize that project. Um, and waiting also um, allowed us to easier access money um, from investors and whatnot to come in because they knew knew us knew what our product was and we were able to be like okay that's a safe investment Um, so that was easy and then three and four happened like that that just seemed like a blink of an eye it was two years after hen of the wood burlington that we opened doc ponds and then two years after Doc, or three years after Doc Ponzo, we bought Prohibition Pig. And it all seemed really organic. You guys weren't going after these opportunities; they were presenting themselves. Oh, totally. They were all they all were presented to us. We didn't we didn't seek them. Yeah, I think that's a testament to putting your head down. And, and when people think of growth, they think outwards. I kind of got into this with Eric. They think like we got to grow outwards. I put all this energy into going out. Like think of a tree, yeah. right, growing outwards. But the true growth, the reason why that tree is growing. It's because of what you can't see below the surface, the root system, right? What's going in, you know, the, 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 and that's where growth comes from going in and doing what you have as best as possible. And then when you do that, growth is organic afterwards. It just happens. Opportunities come to you, right? Do you want to reflect on that? Yeah, absolutely. And I think the one thing you are missing in there is also we have hit points where we have such great people working for us that just have nowhere to go. Uh, and we want to create more opportunity for those people mm. to grow yes. even more with us. I love it. And so at that has been a, a definitely a driving factor for us um, in, in our, the other restaurants. Any key lessons uh, in these uh, four restaurants that you're operating now, uh, aha moments, uh, things, experiences that you can take and share with us to make my, my listeners better? Um, yeah, I, we really, it's funny. We don't actually use the word heirloom hospitality a ton. Uh, a lot of people don't know our restaurants are connected. Um, but we, because we love giving each one its own identity. And I think that's super important. That's an identity with your managers. That's an identity as a brand. It's an identity of the people that come to visit that restaurant and all, even though we have two hand in the woods, even uh, each one is very has its own unique identity to it, and we've always focused heavily on on finding that identity, whether it's again through the managers, the customers, the branding, um, and treating each restaurant as its own unique thing. Where's the value um, in that? Why is the, that so important? Well, the value is that you have this these beautifully cultivated experiences at each restaurant that are so different from the others. And it is about that experience when it comes down to it on every level. I love it. Um, so this is a question I want to start asking all my guests and, uh, the, the mission statement is to inspire, empower, and transform the industry. And we do that by making an example of people like yourself. So let me know how have you transformed from that person you were just getting started in the industry to who you are today? How are you different? Oh, that naive person is very, very long gone. Um, But that worth ethic has has stayed. And and if you want to be in this industry, you need to have that that work ethic. Unfortunately, you got to put down your family and everything else and and be there at all times. And And I I need to make an example of you as somebody with that work ethic. If, If you treat it like you own it. And you don't need to be told what to do, but if you take that initiative and you and you you care for whatever team you're on, like you could possibly own it someday. Like oh, absolutely! Treat it like I'm, you own I'm, it; you I'm, will own it. And you're I'm, you're a living I'm, example of that. I am totally a living example of that. I love it. I remember saying, you know, many nights just to do random projects around the restaurant because I felt they needed to get done, and I wanted to get them done, or I wanted to touch it so I could learn about it. And yeah, it was always a, a thing that I've just always done and. But I've also been fortunate because I, I love what I do. So awesome. it's, yeah, it's awesome. been great. We're going to take a quick break to thank our sponsors, and we'll be right back. So Revel Systems is a complete POS built to help grow your expanding business. I stand by Revel, and I can tell you why it's so great, but I'd rather get my man Colton Schultz, who's with Grain Junction Subs in the Craft Cave, to tell you why he loves Revel. We have been working with Revel for several years, who has partnered with us to streamline our operations. We have implemented delivery management, employee management, sales reporting, kitchen display screens, and so much more. We also utilize mobile order takers and kitchen display systems that are extremely customizable. Nice. So if there's just one thing that you love the most about Revel Systems, what would it be? It's definitely their vast reporting abilities on the back end. We utilize a lot of the reports such as speed of service, taxes, sales reports, labor reports. 
it's all there to help you run your business. Beautiful guys. And if you're listening to this revel works with businesses that are looking to implement cutting edge technology that helps increase revenue, improve efficiencies and enhance experience of their employees and their customers to learn more, head over to revelsystems.com slash unstoppable. All right. We're back. And the first question I have for you is what is your it factor, habit, or trade, a characteristic you believe most contributes to your success? Uh, my work ethic. Definitely. What, what is your biggest weakness? Uh, biggest weakness is being too detailed oriented. Ooh, I hear that. It's also a strength. I bet it's strength yeah. and a weakness. Usually your, your biggest strength or your biggest weakness is opposite. They usually go hand in hand. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is one question you ask or thing you look for during the interview process? What do you like doing outside of work? What are you looking for? I'm not necessarily looking. I'm just looking for a passion behind something. What's your true passion? But without asking what, what you, what your passion is, tell me what you like to You're do. Looking ever. for the ability to be passionate. Yeah, I love it. What is your biggest challenge today? Staffing, kitchen staffing, number one. How are you overcoming it? Um, ooh, basically, we're at the point of telling our chefs if you can get one ahead, then people we need that we need to get there. Um, but the kitchen staffing is it's going to break this industry. You're not alone there, that's for sure. Uh, share one code of conduct or behavior you teach your team. This is a core value, a way to be, a way to behave, a way to act. Um, I would say to treat everyone as equals. We're all on the same team together. We're all here to help each other out, no matter if you're a chef or a dishwasher or a server or a busser. It doesn't matter who you are. We're all on the same team together. What is one uncommon standard of service you teach your team? This is a way to go above and beyond what's expected from you. Um, I, I would say the, the two big ones is greet within two minutes and a check-in within two minutes or two bites of everything that goes out on the table. What is one a book that's a must-read to make us a better person or restaurant operator? Uh, Danny Meyer setting a table. What is one thing you feel restaurateurs don't do well enough or often enough? Care. What is one technology you've adopted within the past uh, whatever years uh, that has had a huge impact on communications, efficiencies, profitability, anything along those lines? Yeah, um, I have two that we've been recently, but A, just going to an online reservation system. Uh, We never had online reservations for years. That would be any online reservation system, but a pad-based system that's online. Um, Which system did you go with and why? Uh, we initially went with the Reserve, and we loved Reserve. Unfortunately, Reserve was just bought by another company. Resi, right? It was bought by Resi, and we're still testing the waters with Resi. Uh, the other one that I just introduced um, that I'm totally infatuated with is a company called Plate IQ, mm. and I was literally just working on that before this interview. So was, why Plate IQ? What is it about them? Uh, they are, of course, I'm going to talk about an accounting side of things, <laughs> but they digitize all your invoices. You can pre-program it to recognize it reads it like it would read you manually deposit or your mobile deposit a check. It works off the same um, software. And really just loving everything they can do because they break it down right into my QuickBook files. And I can program it to go into all my categories with and follow my invoicing exactly the way I want to in a blink of an eye. Awesome. And this is episode 626. Head over to restaurantstoppable.com slash 626 for links to those tools and books if you're interested. And this is the last question. It's a doozy. Are you ready for it? Sure. All Let's right. Go for it. <laughs> if you got the news, you'd be leaving this world tomorrow. All the memories of you, your restaurants, it would be lost with your departure with the exception of three pieces of wisdom that you could leave behind for the good of humanity and for your legacy. What would those three pieces of wisdom be? Uh, first is definitely care about your staff and your staff first. Care about your staff first was one. Care about your staff. Um, ooh, uh, know that you're... Uh, your customers always have a right away in a restaurant. Okay, right of way, right mm-hmm. away, and uh, empower your managers to make decisions. I love it, Will McNeil. This has been a great conversation. We wrap up every chat by calling somebody out. So, who's one independent restaurant operator, somebody you respect and admire, and believe would make a great guest mentor, like you've made for us today? Um, I don't know if there's anyone in Vermont in particular that I um, would make a, a call out to. 
but the restaurant I definitely have a ton of respect for and love everything they're doing is uh, Misery Loves Company in Winooski, and I think that should be your next step. Look out. I'm coming after you guys. I'd love to get you on the show and let the folks at home know how can we connect with you if we, will, we have questions about today's conversation, if we want to come maybe join your team and work with you, what's the best way to connect? Uh, it, the best way to connect is just at any of our restaurants. They're super accessible and yeah, just come see us. I have the restaurant websites in the uh, show notes as well. If you guys want to check those out. And again, Will McNeil, thank you so much for taking the time to share your story, your knowledge, your mentorship. There is no questioning my man. You are unstoppable. Thank you so much. <laughs> Cheers. Thank Cheers. you. All right, there we go. Another episode in the archive here at Restaurant Unstoppable. I hope you all found value. Before I let you go, I have to remind you, please sign up for the Restaurant Unstoppable email list. That is where you will never miss an episode and you get the behind the scenes of what's going on here, where I'm at, what's on my mind, and what the future of Restaurant Unstoppable looks like, and you can have an influence on that. Don't forget to connect on social media. That's slash Restaurant Unstoppable on Facebook and at Eric Cacciatore, E-R-I-C-C. A-C-C-I-A-T-O-R-E on Instagram. But the most important thing you can do to support this mission of inspiring, empowering, and transforming our industry is by sharing this sucker with anybody and everybody you know who's aspiring to be great in the industry. All right. Thank you so much for sticking around this long. Until next time, peace out. Peace out.